up, everybody? This is Rock and Roll. Welcome to another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the most creative and innovative string players alive. This episode features one of the most brutal heavy metal violinists on the planet. No one is louder than Chuck Bontrager. I watched him take a screw gun to his rig before taking the stage one night because he literally shakes his amps apart in every performance. But he's not just loud, he's an incredible technical player. By day, he's a music school grad, classmate of Zach Brock from episode 31. He's the concertmaster for the uh, Chicago production of the smash hit Hamilton. He's a highly sought teacher and a respected colleague of some of the best classical violinists in the world. But when it gets dark out, ha <laughs> ha. This episode is brought to you by Wood Violins, the maker of Chuck's electric violins. It was recorded at MW Rock, the Mark Wood Rock Orchestra Camp, where Chuck is a faculty member. We'll talk more about Wood Violins and MW Rock during the interview, but we're very grateful for their support. Right now, we're listening to Nahum, written by David Wallace, who, by the way, his interview we will release very soon. This was recorded live at the Mark Wood Rock Orchestra Camp in 2016. Let's enjoy a little more shredding and then get on to our chat with Chuck Bontrager, rock star violinist. journey started very young like a lot of people sort of give us a, a some background on where you got started well as as I recall I was I was getting ready to go into second grade and uh, my parents wanted me to play an instrument my dad was a conductor my mom uh, played some trumpet in high school but her big thing in, in arts was ballet and, uh, and drama somewhat so uh, as I remember it I guess they had different memories but as I remember it, they said you're gonna play an instrument but what it is will be up to you. And so it, <clears throat> um, it came down to piano, uh, sorry, violin or cello. And I wound up choosing violin mostly because of portability. I saw these kids carrying these things around, and I, just, I, I didn't, didn't want to. The whole two-block walk to my elementary school was really right. going to kill me, right? So, so I, uh, I went with something a little smaller and I guess a little squeakier, as it turns out, but it, it stuck. But you were like a genius already, like, or, or the forethought was already there. I, I don't, I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was <laughs> conscious thought. But I, I do remember not wanting to have to lug around that, that very, very large thing. That's awesome. So then, that was mostly a classical style upbringing in music. Oh, entirely, entirely. Uh, my dad was, uh, was a bit of a jazzer before he started conducting. He was a trombonist and um, did music education in college and was, was teaching in high schools in Indiana for a, a couple of years before he went back to school to start the conducting track. 
Um, <clears throat> and coming up, his thing was was classical and jazz. And so I, I came up listening to Tosca one night, and then it'd be Stan Kenton or, or KJJ in the uh, the next night. Um, it was it was mostly passive. He he kept to himself. He was always studying scores and behind a behind a closed door. But still, it was it was kind of walking through the house. Um, but everything that I did on violin was entirely classical. Uh, I started lessons almost immediately after starting to play the instrument in the first place. Ooh, we're gonna have fun. Gonna have fun editing this one out. <laughs> we were in our classroom at MW Rock, which is held at Mid American Nazarene University in Kansas. We got interrupted here, but that's cool. It gives us a chance to listen to another minute or two of Nahum. As a side note, you might hear Mark Wood's band rehearsing down the hall from us here in a few minutes. They're almost as loud as Chuck, but thankfully there are several walls between them and us. Hmm, where were we? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, upbringing classical. Yes, yeah, it wasn't until... I think I probably heard of jazz violin when I was in junior high or high school or something like that, but I wasn't. I didn't experience it, didn't encounter it until uh, until much later, and mostly that was because I went to college with Zach Brock. Uh, we studied in the same studio at, at Northwestern. Uh, he was a couple of years behind me. It was the probably the one time in our lives when I was a better fiddle player than he was, but um, <laughs> that time I think is long gone. Thanks, Zach. Uh, but he... Uh, he was working his jazz chops while he was also working his classical chops, and so I, I got a, I got a taste there. And you can't go too far in the violin world without running into Stefan Grappelli, at least right. you know maybe some Jean Ponty too. Um, but while I I love jazz and respect it, I've never had really the ear for it, and it, it uh, I, tremendous respect for it. But it's it's not the thing that that I want to be playing, um, and so maybe I didn't pay as much attention to it. As I might have, uh, but when I was in high school, I started listening to—I don't know, maybe it was my parents' divorce—but I started getting started getting a little angrier and a little, a little less happy about being growing up in a very nice town in the Midwest, um, and started listening to heavier and heavier styles of classical music. So it kind of went from maybe a little bit from Mozart to Shostakovich for me, or some of the uh, the more fiery angry, youthful Beethoven stuff. Sure. Um, and then uh, we had these, thing, these things called radios that we would, we would listen to a lot, and uh, I discovered the stations that weren't quite so quite so popular. Um, and uh, bands like Living Color started to become pretty important to me near the end of high school. And then my senior year, uh, spring of my senior year, my sister's friend gave me one of those old bootleg cassette copies of uh, Metallica's and Justice for All. Mm. This was uh, spring of 1989, so the album was, I guess, less than a year old, yeah. all told. And I, I remember taking it home and putting it into my boom box, which was on the table right next to my bed at my mom's place. And that that compressed, almost feedbacky guitar duet thing comes fading in. That was, that was it. My world was changed. Yeah, it's one of those transformative moments where you remember yeah. right where you were and right what you were, right exactly what you were doing when, when that moment comes, and that was that was one for me. Um, but it wasn't until a, a number of years later when it 
when it dawned on me that maybe you could do these kinds of things on fiddle. Wait, did he say you could play Metallica on fiddle? Yes, he did. And in 2016, he proved it. This is a snippet of Metallica's To Live Is To Die, arranged by Chuck and Jason Gianni and performed by Chuck and the MW Rock Band. We're going to be here in a few minutes. Grab a frosty beverage and enjoy.
I that was certainly a, a change. That was a, that was another another push toward the toward the beautiful dark side, and uh, and then Zach uh, lent me a copy of uh, uh, Mahavishnu's Visions of the Emerald Beyond, and that uh, nebula comes in, and then John Ponty comes in with this. I think it was a distorted baritone fiddle, and I thought you can you really can do this stuff on our instrument. This is this is great. Yeah. I've got to be doing this. Metallica and Tool sustained me through college and kept sustaining me. Music like that kept sustaining me through my my first few years outside of college. And now here was an instrument that would would let you make that music with a violin technique. That's I need that. Yeah, that that's got to happen. So did you go straight to a seven string? No, no. I started. Uh, I, I don't know why I decided that normally don't do things like this, but I, I took it somewhat slowly in steps. Normally I go right to the stuff that I can't play and then bang my head against the wall and <laughs> walk away in disgust. But I started with a uh, with a <clears throat> Fishman pickup on my violin. I didn't like that very much. Um, I stole an amp from Zach again, actually. Third big influence. Um, stole an old Princeton chorus from him and got this Fishman pickup. Put it on my violin. Didn't like it very much. Put it on the G-string side of the bridge. That was a little better. Tried it on my viola and uh, realized at that point that I was starting to get somewhere. Um, worked with that for a little bit. Uh, bought my first couple of pedals, you know, metal zone distortion, that kind of thing. And right. You encounter the, uh, the problem of, of trying to run a lot of processing, especially distortion with an acoustic instrument that gets out of control in a hurry. So right. I ordered one of those, uh, I think from the Woodwind Brassman, got one of those... Uh, five-string import solid bodies shaped like an S, Strauss yeah. is what they were called at the time. And they call them stags now. I, th- right? I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And and that was cool, uh, but I, I took it to a luthier on, the, on the, one of the near suburbs of Chicago and for a long time. This was uh, Peter Seaman in his shop in, in, uh, in Skokie. He was the only person in the area who would sell electric fiddles or be willing to work on them. And I, I took him that instrument and asked him to... Uh, recut the bridge and the nut so I could string it like a viola so A down through F and that was cool and then you you drop the F and C down a half step each and now you've got the same low note as most guitar tunings and now you're now you're kind of home yeah. now you can play the guitar stuff and you can in many situations you can play more quickly and more cleanly because you've got a whole octave under two adjacent strings, right? You right. don't have to go, you don't have to do nearly as much across the next stuff in order to get all those notes in. And right. Then you start pissing off guitarists. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's a good day. Yeah. It's harder for us to do courting. It course, is. Yeah. But with single note runs, it, it's hard for a guitarist to compete. It's, it's hard for a guitarist to compete. Yeah. Yeah, the courting, the courting is an issue, and I, I don't know why I chose that particular aspect. To kind of, that's, that's, but that's what I love most. Right. That's, that's, I'm still working on that. So um, you, so you then just decided you were at this point trying to like learn Tool songs and Metallica songs, or you just immediately start writing? Uh, I, I have not done a lot of writing in, in my time. Uh, most of what I've done, and I think, I think this is an aspect of the, of the classical upbringing. You start with somebody else's music. Um, I have done some arranging, and, and I, I like that. The writing thing is, is never something that I've really felt the call for, but uh, that maybe has been changing lately. I've started to, 
have the occasional melody float through my head, so I get out the voice memo on the phone and yeah. attempt to hack, sing it in there, so that if I if I get the if I get the gumption at some point, maybe I can turn it into something. Um, but yeah, I, I started immediately with the with the music that I that I loved most, and, and uh, for a long time that has been Tool and Metallica. Uh, a couple of years after I had that, uh, after I got that Strauss, uh, I bought I bought a Viper. Um, and I think that was that was a really good decision to have some kind of transition between an acoustic four string acoustic instrument and seven strings on an electric. So the five string was tuned low enough that I was doing guitar stuff. And then you go to a seven string Viper, and then you're only adding one string that you're not familiar with. Right. You're just adding. So it's you're just adding one additional string, and you get your E string back. Right. So it's it, it's not nearly as scary as I think it might have been going from four right to seven. Um, started doing the, the drill, going to guitar centers and any other shop that I might happen across, going in and checking stuff out. And you <clears throat> you get a lot of the looks like, what the, what is he doing? And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay, that's okay to see. I, I, I admit I don't get tired of people walking up to me and saying, I didn't know a violin could do that. That's, a, that's the guilty pleasure. Uh, but um, there was a there was a salesman who's now one of the uh, one of the assistant managers at one of the local guitar centers in Chicago. Who uh, he, he's the guy that they send all the crazy people to. So all the weird instruments that come in, he's he's that guy, Brian Peterson, and uh, he helped me find some of my first real pieces of gear, and eventually called me up and said, "Hey, I'm forming a tool tribute. You want to replace the guitar parts with the instrument that you have?" Yo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want I want to do that. Yeah, you have the correct number. I I, I can't not do that. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And playing that music on well in front of people on on stages, people who are interested in hearing it, sound engineers who are interested in running it. That's that's been some of my some of my greatest musical and artistic experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. you hadn't guessed this is from chuck's tool tribute band called vicarious the instrumentation is bass drums vocals and chuck no guitars were harmed or used in this recording
worthless liar. I am just an imbecile. I will only come. So, I mean, you're one of the most knowledgeable people I've come across as far as effects and and how all this stuff works. And it's it's you know Thank we talk you. about that means a lot coming from you. It means a lot. Thank you. So we talk in the violin or in, you know at the shop we talk a lot about you know the things that we've got to teach adults mm -hmm. are the things that guitar players have known since they were 14 mm -hmm. right because there's just this body of knowledge that guitar players have because sure. they start with this stuff mm -hmm. um, but so what what's been your experience as far as acquiring this knowledge and and what's sort of your path been well there hasn't been there really haven't been any any mentors as far as players that I knew of who were spending most of their time on the sixth and the seventh string and doing all the cording that they could manage and carrying appliance-sized rigs to, to gigs. Uh, I eventually did run into Earl, and, and I think he and I have taught each other a lot, of, a lot of really great stuff, but the first several years that I was doing this, I mean, it was great to, to be in contact with Mark Wood about it, but he, um, he he's, uh, of course, fantastic Hall of Fame player and is, has changed my life because of the instrument that he made for me, but he plays it in a different way than, than I love to. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I, I talked to a lot of guitarists, watched a lot of guitar videos about how they keep their sound tight, this palm muting thing that they can do and we can't because we need that hand to use the bow. So how do you compensate for it? Well, you figure out some finger muting, you wrap a piece of cloth or something around the short strings between your bridge and your tailpiece. Um, you tune your gate just so. Um, but mostly it was it was a lot of experimentation. A lot of going out and trying everything and finding what really spoke to you. What speaks to you. And uh, then saving up the money. And Sometimes the stuff is expensive. Right. Saving up and then buying that gear and cherishing it. Making it scream, mm -hmm. riding it, riding it hard, but also taking very, very good care of it. Um, having having the sound in your head is important because if you don't, if you don't know what you're going for. And, and there's there's certainly something to be said for just trying something because it might inspire you. But I think, uh, and for me, it was sooner rather than later. I had I had the sound in my head, and I needed to go and, and find it. Um, and so my search was fairly was fairly directed, um, but try everything. Understand that all of this stuff was not made for us. It was made for guitarists, and there are, there are some similarities, but there are also some very important differences in the way the two instruments make their sounds. And so you have to understand that something that might sound perfect when played through by a guitarist is not going to work for us. And you have to be prepared for that kind of disappointment. And you've just got to keep searching. Right. Um, yeah, persistence. Having something in your head that you want to go out, that you want to go after. Understanding that the gear is now the second half of your instrument, and that the the sound that you make is is completely, utterly affected by the gear that you are using, and. That's as, as much of the, the signature of your sound as, as anything else. Yeah, you have to be able to play, you know, shut up and play your guitar, right? As someone very important said yeah. that. Um, and, and eventually, it, it does come down to 
what you play and how you play it, but the sound that you get is as much uh, as much an aspect of the gear, and you've got to treat it as such. You have to <laughs> you have to practice your pedal changes with a metronome, or you'll screw them up. Mm -hmm. You you have to uh, practice moving around while you play, because if you're used to sitting in an orchestra, as I have been, um, the freedom of a, a wireless rig and an instrument that you don't have to support with your face is it's, it's almost like too much rope you, know? right. you, can, you can get yourself in some trouble really quickly um, there's you know always the thing too about learning how to play when you're physically exhausted oh yeah from bouncing around a stage and Carrying learn how to play when you're so sweaty that you can't even hold the bow. Yep. You're just slipping out of your bow hand. Yep. And you're outside and so humid that the bow isn't sticking to the strings anymore. It's, it's like somebody put soap on it. Yeah. Yeah. All those environmental and physical conditions. You, uh, if, if you ride the if you ride the line between the classical and the non-classical, then maybe you were up early to go do some teaching at high school, and then maybe you went home and you practiced a little bit. And maybe you got a 20-minute nap, but you probably didn't. And so you've been up for 14 hours, and you still haven't started playing yet. Right. Yeah, dealing with that, that physical and, and mental fatigue, it's something that, that has to be practiced also. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully the, uh, the emotional boost, though, yeah. carries you through. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Adrenaline. And, and that's the other thing, too, is it's so different from a classical environment where... It, that environment is designed to minimize distractions, mm -hmm. and then the rock environment seems to be designed to maximize distractions, mm -hmm. to to encourage and foster those distractions. Yeah, right. and that's okay. Yeah, but it's a whole different mental place it to is. be in. Yeah, and it, like anything that's new, adapting to that takes practice. Costume change.
So you have a like a dual career, really. You have a, a classical style career and like this heavy metal career. Talk a little bit about the more classical side of your career. Well, that's what money I make. Um, almost all of it comes from from that the classical or the or the almost classical. Uh, I, I'm I'm very very lucky in that I've I've, I've been getting uh, getting a pretty fair amount of show work in Chicago. Some of the downtown theaters shows that are coming in, um, and that's that's great because of the regularity of schedule. And the, the, admittedly, the check can be nice. That's that's never a bad thing, uh, but. It, it can also, uh, I mean, I'm not complaining about this because they're great gigs to have, but that can take up enough of your time and enough of your energy that by the time you get home, you know, maybe you don't want to be staying up to do any writing or do any practicing on the, on the not-so-classical stuff. And, uh, and just like the classical chops, they'll leave you. you know, the, the metal stuff goes away no if, doubt. You, if, you don't, if you don't keep on it. Yeah. So right now you're in a run with... Hamilton. I'm playing in the band for Hamilton in Chicago. Yeah. And I'm beyond grateful to have it. It's it's a great gig. I love playing the show. I love playing with that band. It's really it's a great string quartet that I help run and uh, a really fantastic rhythm section that I learn from them every day. They're slowly converting me from a maybe a, a fiddle player who maybe has some decent pocket to they're trying to make me into a rhythm player, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm excited about that. And I feel the change. It's it's nice. You know, my sense of time is, is getting better because it has to be. That's that's an aspect of, of this particular show. It's expected. Yeah. So talk about pit life. I mean, that's the the whole podcast is basically designed to teach people what options there are for violinists outside of the traditional orchestra and chamber music and theater work clearly falls into that so clearly the uh it, it the circles are pretty small uh especially outside of new york um, there aren't uh, a lot of us that that get to make our living or even part of our living playing shows in chicago but there is a there's a there's a nice theater scene and there are some good um some very fine regional theaters that do really great work um, that also provide work for, for people like me and I've had the pleasure of working there um, most of the time though it's not a full time year round thing you'll get called for a show and it'll be 7 to 10 weeks and then you're, you're, uh, you're figuring it out until the next one comes along um, and so a lot of us are very lucky to get even 20, work, 20 weeks of theater work a year um, so when something like Hamilton comes along and you know it's going to be eight shows a week for as long as people keep buying tickets, it's, it's exciting. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a life-changing event. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it, if, if it goes as long as, the, as we think it's probably going to go, I think I'm, I'm going to be able to be able to mix in some, some primo sawdust with my cat food you know, when I'm 85 oh, years yeah. old and you know, living in somebody else's broom closet. It's going to be... <laughs> Sweet, I'm gonna get some, some cedar cedar sawdust in my Yeah, good stuff. Man. Yeah, uh, but it's it's fantastic to to have that regular schedule to to know where you're going every day and to know that when you get there you're gonna get to make music with a with a really great band. It's uh, 
it's it's great to be a part of something that so many people are excited about. And I, I try to make sure that I I don't get to the theater too early, or or maybe I'll just go have some coffee outside so that I see the line of people that even now nine months yeah, nine months after we open, this line of people that are still out there in front of every show to remind myself that, that this is this is important, you know, to try to make sure that it never becomes just a job. Some days at that I fail, um, but most of the time I'm, I'm happy going in and I'm even happier coming out. Um, being a part of it, that's it, it's not to be, it, can, it can't be overstated. As you, you get used to uh, sitting on a stage with orchestras and as, as you age, so do the audiences and you, you, you don't see maybe as many young people as you would like to see that come out to see the Lake Forest Symphony or the Chicago Symphony. Um, but the, the raucous, almost rock concert-like audiences that we get at some performances of Hamilton are invigorating them. That's fantastic. It is. Lucky there, and grateful to have it. There's something about the energy. That you can just, you can feel that energy pouring out of the crowd. And it yeah. just, that's, that's like a drug, man. I just, yeah. I cannot get enough of that. No, no doubt. I, they had to, uh, they had to completely cover the pit in order to get the machinery in that runs this double turntable, the double revolve. So we have no real visual contact with the audience and you can still feel it. Absolutely. The, the show starts and people start screaming and you know I, I, I played uh, was practicing one of the violin lines at a community school where I do some uh, community music school where I do some teaching in the, in the West Loop just on the west side of the downtown part of Chicago and people know they know that melody that the show opens with and they you know, knock on the door are you practicing Hamilton? yeah why are you because I play I get to play Hamilton you get to play that's so cool it's um it's it's very much a phenomenon, and the, the, the energy of it is is uh, beyond remarkable. That's killer. It's I'm lucky and grateful. Yeah. So let's talk about some gear. Okay. You know, first of all, we'll talk about your your theater gear since we're on that topic. It's good stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. What's what's your theater rig? The theater rig is a uh, a violin uh, made by the Cosan family. Um, I believe uh, Paris mid 1880s. Um, I I have a, another acoustic instrument that I've had since college that I love. It's, a, it's Paul Bailly, made it about the same time, um, and that instrument has great colors and great depth, but it doesn't have a lot of pop. And so for for this particular show, I wanted something with that. If I dug deep enough, I could get a little bit of growl out of it. You know, a, a concert master fiddle for this particular show. So I. Uh, Knowing that I had this gig, you know, it, it, uh, it loosened the purse strings a little bit, and so I got to do some shopping, and that was pretty cool. And uh, I got to play uh, four or five instruments, kind of the best of what I was able to find in my price range uh, around Chicago, and, and played them for the lead engineer and the music director, and for Alex Lockmore, the music supervisor and the arranger. And all of us agreed that this fiddle that I bought was uh, was the best of the lot, and was also the well, almost the least expensive, so that so that worked out. Bonus. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and the, the rest of the string quartet, and even because because the instrument is French, named it Adrienne after Laf after uh, after Lafayette's wife. Yeah. So it's it's 
straight, man. And it's uh, for the first time in my life, I feel like I have a, a truly professional on every level acoustic instrument, and that's great. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, uh, but that and uh, that instrument and a uh, the bow that I use is a uh, is a slightly cracked. Never really, it never broke totally, but it came out of a vault, slightly cracked. So the shop owner insurance it out, and I got a really nice tort copy for not very much money. He just rubbed some glue in the crack and wrapped it, you know, with some silk thread. And Sweet. The best, the best stick I've ever had use of for any real length of time. And I got it as, as a playing bow. Got it for a steel. And uh, uh, DPA on a gooseneck um, out to the house board, and that's that's the rig. Well, DPA sound amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's so, some sort of voodoo in that thing. Some sort of voodoo that, that there's there's no uh, there's no compromise between warmth and clarity. That's it's astounding. Yeah, and we have we have great engineers and a, a million dollar PA system that they installed in this theater. Yeah, and. I, uh, I've taken the opportunity a couple of times to sit out, you know, put my sub in the chair and, and sit out in the in the house in the uh, in the company box, just to see the show and to, to, to listen in, make yeah. sure that it's that it's what we want it to sound like. And yeah, man, those things those things sound great, and our engineers make them sound great. That's awesome. It is. So you're actually we're um, right now we are at the Mark Wood Rock Orchestra Camp in yes, we Kansas. Are. Rock. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Or you're an instructor here and have been for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that you're teaching is, you call it your petting zoo. We're sitting in a room with, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, what, ten amps in here. <laughs> and, and it's none of these little, you know, none of these little wussy amps. We got some stacks and stuff in here. We've got some stacks in here, yep. So talk about, like, what is your, I mean, you've got everything from, Pods to fractals to helixes to mesa boogies. What, what's your uh, what's your baby? If you got to take one out, what, what's your rig? The the magical rig for me um, that I only got to play out at a couple of the very last shows that my Tool Tribute did is a uh, <clears throat> is a Framus uh, Cobra hundred watt head and the accompanying four by twelve cab and there are. Uh, greenbacks in that cab I believe and then uh, also that head will drive a Mesa 4x12 240 watt uh, rectifier slant cab um, and I have a couple of pedals that I use in the input stage that the little copper Strymon box the compressor boost I really like that nice and warm uh, mission volume pedal designed for piezo pickups which is great those make a, a real difference uh, I don't use much wah but there's a, a, a Maverick that I like and then the the real nerve center is a is a fractal uh, the the rack mount the uh, the FX the FX two and that will uh, that's simultaneously processing the the framus front and back pre and post and uh, in certain situations will also provide a, a separate virtual rig so when I'm when all guns are blazing I've got two cab signals and a, a two uh, real cab signals and then a virtual signal path that's usually a Mesa model with a stereo cab there. Um, and that's, I usually keep those on 70-30 splits in the stereo field, but uh, it's an easy enough thing to center them if the sound engineer wants to do his or her own thing. Uh, and that sound collectively makes me very, very happy. 
because the, the AMP models can kind of compensate for some of the... The Framus is a great AMP, but it's very, very much a one-trick pony. It's a, it's a nice trick, but it, it basically does one thing. And so mixing in different AMP models in a, uh, in a virtual signal path can, can do a lot to smooth out the edges. So talk about your search for that sound that you were hearing in your head. Uh, have you uh, have you interviewed Lyris yet? Okay. Uh, Lyris Hung uh, was running her own death metal band, and she was using the Framus. And uh, after after meeting her through a mutual friend, and she she was farther along the gear search path than I was. Uh, she actually convinced me to come out to because these things are rare. Uh, she convinced me to come out to New York and try it. And at that point, having having been in front of many different other amplifiers, Mesas, and Diesels, and, and Wagners, this I knew was the was the angry part of the sound that I really wanted, and it reacts very well to the, the kind of electricity that a that a violin will produce, which is great. Um, and I, I got very lucky and found one in the Chicago area that had been uh, that had been given to this kid on uh, on an endorsement deal, and after ten hours. He decided, about 10 hours of rehearsal, he decided he didn't like it. So he sold it to me for much, much less than it, than it would have gone for even on the street. And I'm, I'm sure that was incredibly pleasing to his representatives at Framus to find out that he had sold his half stack for not very much money and, and probably smoked the whole thing. But, oh well, my gain. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then being able to, to mix in additional amps... Uh, was, was always on the list of things to try. Uh, Adam Jones in Tool, it normally runs three different half stacks. That was nowhere near practical in, in terms of the amount of money that I would have to spend in order to be able to put all that together or carrying it to the gig that I only did about once every 12 weeks, anyway, 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, so when I started hearing about the uh, the fractals and their, their next level of quality amp modeling. I thought that was the kind of thing that I'd have to, that I need to try. Because I've, I've tried the Pod 6 stuff, uh, the, the Line 6 stuff, the Pods, um, and all the other pedal boards. And the, all of them have some nice qualities, but none of them were really it. There's always something ab about those amp models that made me think, I don't know, maybe they, they shortchanged some of the coding or something, because the, when you play a guitar through them, they would sound okay, but then you play a violin through them, and it wouldn't sound anything really like the real thing. Um, but the but the fractal, I think, is a, is a huge step up. That's really usable, and there it is. It's the smallest box in that stack. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a learning curve. It's a lot of time, that I, more time than I really care to think about, in order to get it all Frankenstein together and have it be reliable, um, but that's what—that's the sound that makes me happy, and that's why I'm still willing to carry it around. Well, we will—we uh, will let people hear some of that sound.
This is more of the Metallica tribute that Chuck did at MW Rock. Speaking of MW Rock, our sponsor for this episode is Wood Violins. What you're hearing right now is an example of just how powerful and versatile the Wood Violins Viper is. All of the string section you're hearing, Vipers. The thick and chunky, quote, guitar sound, also Vipers. If you want complete freedom of movement as you tear around stage in a sweat-soaked frenzy, if you want a thick, powerful, angry, distorted sound, but also a rich, vibrant, clean sound, if you want the coolest looking violin ever made, you want a Viper. Available in a mind-boggling number of colors, in four, five, six, or seven string configurations, fretless, with phantom frets, or the unique wood violin streamlined frets, you can definitely commission an instrument that's as unique as your personal style. For more information, you can check out woodviolins.com or follow them on all social media platforms. So you are also sort of in like the... Because, like you mentioned before, there's not any gear that's made for violinists. There's mm-hmm. basically no gear made for violinists. Yeah. Everything that we've got, we've, we've had to sort of adapt from guitars. Mm-hmm. You've actually done some work on, on getting some things made for violin. Yes. Uh, at last year's camp, Mark's camp last year, uh, we, I received a grant from the, uh, from the Ryan family. Uh, they've been coming to camp with their kids since day one, year one. And two years ago, they started a grant program. One grant each year, one for technical advancement and one for composition. So last year was the second year, and they awarded me their grant for, for, uh, for uh, uh, technical achievement. And I had a, I guess we probably all do, a list of things that we would love to have Maybe something to filter out some bow noise, uh, a, uh, a bowed instrument-specific distortion pedal. I think was something that I've that I've always wanted, and uh, even did a, a little bit of work on for this particular grant. And for a, a couple of different reasons, that project fell through. Uh, what I wound up settling on was uh, just recently introduced to me by you, actually, one of your videos. This this fiddlicator. And I, I knew about convolution engines. There's a, there's a tone match function in the fractal um, that I've experimented with a little bit. But the Fiddlicator and, and, or a similar type app is, is a really neat idea because they're so accessible. The, the fractal is still a $2,200 box, and, and right. most people aren't going to go out and spend that kind of money just so they can start working with impulse responses and such. But the Fiddlicator and its ilk, that's a different story. Um, so being in Chicago... Uh, which is a, a long-standing hotbed for instrument making and instrument dealing. Uh, and the people that I've uh, been fortunate enough to know throughout my career, I have access to some pretty decent instruments. So I thought, what would happen if we could get a really good impulse response from one of these great instruments and drop it into the fiddlicator? And so I'm going to be presenting the results of, of the initial efforts. There, there's a long way to go yet. Uh, but uh, there's a, a very fine Hall of Fame classical violinist in Chicago, Rachel Barton Pine, uh, who taught at, uh, we, we share a love of the metal, and 
she uh, she taught at Mark's uh, camp for several years, and we continue to to hang out. I mean, she lets me play with her occasionally. It's just really it's really cool. She uh, has a, a a lifetime loan from a foundation of a very very fine instrument, and uh, she runs her own foundation actually, and uh, was just bequeathed another very very fine instrument, and she let me go over to her place a couple of weeks ago and whack on the tailpieces of these instruments with a stick and stick some microphones up really close to it. And eventually I figured out enough about how the app works to be able to drop those files in and now for a $5 app on your iPhone you can have something approximating the sounds of these instruments. Um, it's You're not going to take a solid body electric instrument and make it sound like, for example, a Strat, but it changes the tone of that electric instrument in a dramatically positive way. And the nice thing about the impulse response is that you, you get a really good recording, you hang on to that sound file and drop it into whatever the next level of convolution engine will be. And that that's, that uh, impulse response will continue to pay off. For sure. Yeah. So I have a, I have a couple. I, I did the instrument that I bought for Hamilton. And I did these these two uh, world class instruments that, that Rachel let me whack on a little bit, and um, we're gonna let the kids walk away from with them if if they want. Wow. Yeah. Um, I uh, I called the project the uh, I came up with some fancy name. I think it's the it's, it's getting a little late, so my brain's getting fuzzy. But the Im, uh, the impulse response archive fine instrument mm-hmm. impulse response archive. I came up with it, and now I can't remember it. The fine, fine instrument impulse response archive, um, and I don't, I don't know whether we're going to try marketing it or whether it'll just be for kids here at the camp. I, I hope to be able to let people use these things. Sure. Is anything, anything that helps an electric fiddle sound better, makes it more likely to get used and yeah. practiced on and enjoyed, and then that helps spread the word that hey, these instruments can sound good. And are a worthwhile pursuit. Right. So anything that will help with that, I'm, I'm down with. Speaking of how versatile the instrument is, how versatile Chuck himself is, and what sounds can be made between impulse responses and huge amplifier stacks, let's listen to Chuck's version of the Star Spangled Banner.
do a lot of improvising. You do, I do a little bit, not as much as I would like to, but yeah, I, I do some. So coming from a classical background, how did you sort of learn how to, to improv? How, what was your journey on that? Oh my God, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Fraught with peril and, and fear and... Uh, I, uh, I, I've been living with a, a series of college buddies, you know, since, since getting out of school. And after about 10 years of that, the prolonged adolescence was, was starting to wear a little bit thin. So I um, moved out of regular apartment living in Chicago and, and moved into a dirty hippie loft over a family dollar out on the near west side with, you know, no heat but a really nice recording studio and a really nice community of people to, to hang out and jam with and so it was moving into that environment helped and uh, being around people who do it a lot on whatever instrument that helps uh, forcing myself to do it was was important uh, and every time every time I've never once improvised and felt comfortable doing it it gets a little bit more comfortable every time I try but there's there's always that that fear there's always my well, maybe not always, but oftentimes there is my first violin teacher. She's, got, she's wearing her little devil horns, and she's sitting on my shoulder and saying, Now, Charlie B., that's not how we use our violins. <laughs> um, but you, it's, it's, just like, it's just like anything. You, you, the first time you do it, you're going to suck. It's going to be awful, and you're, you're going to hate it. But two principles. First of all, it's improvisation, so it can't be wrong, right? You're... you're, you're Providing whatever is is coming into your head to the best of your fingers abilities, right? Um, and the other thing is, just like just like anything, you do it more and you get a little better at it and you get a little bit more comfortable at it. I think one of the biggest hangups is that accomplished instrumentalists think, well, I, I can play this instrument. Shouldn't I be able to improvise? No, it's it's, it's a different dialect. It's a it's a different part of the language, and it has to be practiced. So awesome. during, during the times of my life when I'm doing it more often, I'm considerably more comfortable at it. But when I let it go for weeks or a couple of months, then it's it's back to scary land again. Yeah. So, but I mean, the thing is, you sort of learn as you're messing around in your house, you're yep. writing, you're sort of coming up with licks. Sure. And you get these go-to licks mm-hmm. that you know, if you're on stage and it's time to improv, you're not feeling particularly inspired. You can pull out one of your go-to licks, and well, maybe that'll inspire something. Start there, and maybe end with another one of the go-to licks. Yeah, it's, it's part of it's part of your vocabulary. Yeah, and you you learn to those are those are words and phrases in your vocabulary, and you learn to use them just like you just like you learn any other spoken language. So, going from classical to metal, the bow has to act very very differently. Um, there, there's techniques that are in metal that are, are very seldom found in classical music. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about maybe your bow, some of the equipment. Um, I don't know if you got black hair on your bow too, right? You've had that yeah. restrung? Yeah. Or rehaired? Use, use the black hair. It's a little bit more coarse, grabs the string a little better. And Yeah, in an acoustic setting, that might that might mess with, it, mess with the sound a little bit, maybe make it a little bit more harsh, but I, I don't think I really... I don't notice that when I'm through 100 watts and eight speakers and right. 120 dB in the gain stage, you know, a little bit of harshness is not going to be <laughs> is not going to be too big a deal. Um, yeah, I was I was turned on to the Coda Jewel 
uh, probably by Earl. And I think probably about the time, there was a time a few years ago when I, I, I went out and auditioned for, for his band when he was still running Resolution 15. And I, w I was actively trying to figure out a way to somehow live in New York for a couple of days a week so I could, so I could work with him. Um, but that bow makes a, makes a tremendous difference. The way that it bounces and the amount of time that it spends on the string is very minimal. So you can get very, very short articulations. So uh, under a, a lot of gain, and if you're using fairly light finger pressure, the kind of the kind of finger pressure that would produce uh, almost a harmonic kind of bump sound on an acoustic instrument, that sounds great through the amp, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what that's exactly what you're looking for, or at least what I'm looking for. Um, and sometimes I pay for it. Sometimes I go to a classical gig, and my finger pressure in the left hand is a little bit too light, and and something will squeak on me or fuzz on me, and I have to remember that, oh, this is different instrument, right. different instrument, and by the way, you're getting paid, time to, you know, yeah. make sure you Clamp sure down on that thing. Yeah, 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 would you, would you please play this instrument correctly? Um, but the, the, uh, that coda, the jewel, enables some things that I, are, are impossible at worst, or at the very least unreliable with a wooden bow. Now maybe if I, if I had a world-class bow technique, which I do not, Maybe it wouldn't be an issue, but that bow allows me to do things that I otherwise couldn't. Yeah, they're fantastic sticks and really incredibly reasonable in the bow world. Yeah. You know, any bow that costs less than a car <laughs> right. is pretty reasonable in, in the bow world. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I love about this this rock and metal thing is that you can put together a world class rig for less than the price of a car. Yeah. You know, the, I've had a lot of people you know, the Viper draws a lot of attention, uh, and uh, people want to ask how much they are. And you, you tell a, a, a rock guitarist how much you paid for this seven-string electric fiddle, and they go, oh my God, does it, does it sweep your floors for you too? Does it clean your house? And uh, you, you say, you, you float the same figure to a classically trained violinist, and say, oh, no problem, I have it for you in the morning. Is that all? Is that yeah. all? You know, it's short by an order of magnitude. You know. Right. Uh, so that that makes if you think of it that way I think that it makes the expenditure of the, the expenditure of the money on the really good gear sting a lot less yeah that's true yeah. Uh, but between the jewel and uh, wrapping the short strings yeah so that they don't ring after you try to stop them I'm going to start doing that I saw you doing that this week and, and I'm already trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to do that yeah I, I think it needs to be refined uh Wrapping a, a bandana around the short strings looks cool, but most bandanas are almost too much material to stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And taking the thing on and off, if you if you want that ring back in a really nice acoustic passage or right. semi-acoustic passage, takes too long to get the thing. And then you you hit the distortion pedal, and now the bandana is gone, and now yeah. everything is ringing. So something that is more easily and more quickly removable, I think, would be a, somebody should come up with something like that. That yeah, would be a cool my thing. My gears are turning. Yeah, yeah, my gear. We'll see what we got. Yeah, do it, man. Um, um, what strings are you using? I, 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 Lyris, are you listening to this? The Dario folks, would you please make a seventh string? Please, please, please. Um, I use the Helicore set for the top five, and they uh, they just started making the octave strings mm -hmm. down to G. Normally, in a lot of the uh, a lot of the music that I play, I'm I call it lift D tuning. So my seventh 
sixth and seventh strings are up from B flat and F to D and A. Okay. Because I'm I'm aping a lot of the tool stuff that that guy plays in drop D, so right. I, I want the same open string pitches at the bottom. Um, so I've been using five string sets and then um, uh, uh, Sensicore, the mm-hmm. uh, the octave G and C there, and then tuning them up to tuning them up a whole step to D and the A. Um, but now uh, Helicore. We have those, and I, I really like that as the new sixth string. I wish they made the seventh. So please make the B flat. Or make the octave C. That'd be great. So you're using um, heavy tension? Um, uh, so far, just medium. Okay. So far, just medium. I haven't it, I haven't yet tried the heavy. That's that's what I'm, I'm on mediums, and yeah. I just I feel like I need them to be faster. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of, like, really quick pull-off stuff. Okay, okay. And, and I, they just, I think the heavies are going to respond a little quicker. Okay. Let me know about that. I'd be, I'd be very yeah. interested. I have a, or maybe I should just get off my button and, and try them because I have a set of them sitting on, a, sitting on the desk at home. Yeah. It's just different than guitar players changing strings. Because, you know, my guitar player changes strings every week. Sure. And it's, he spends about as much a year as I do on strings. But, you know, it, it just hurts a lot more when you think about, you break a string and you're like, I never went 60 bucks. Yeah. And it's going to take three or four days to truly settle in and oh I suppose I should play the rest of this song yeah <laughs> um, I should I can get my heel of courses settled pretty fast if I mm. if I stretch them as I'm putting them on give a little bit of yeah give a little bit of pull and, yeah. and I keep a I keep a pencil in my case to be able to throw the, the graphite in the nut in the, in the bridge sure and uh, and that makes a big difference too on settling time yeah yeah do you uh do that on the net too. You say? Does, mm-hmm. Do you ever? Do you ever have any any trouble with slippage or intonation issues? Because the because the angle coming off the nut on the viper is, is pretty shallow. Yeah. Now I just I throw in, in the in the nut in the bridge and and it's usually if I break a string on stage, which is usually where it happens, mm-hmm. I'll you know I'll yell to my singer and he'll call the next song is something that I don't have to play on at least at first. Okay. It gives me about two minutes. Okay. To That's get a cool. string changed. And get that sucker stretched and, and thrown on, get it in tune, and then maybe I'll have to play the end of that song. Sure. But uh, you can usually get one changed in about two minutes. Well, even, how, even how, long, how long is it until the fiddle solo on Bob O'Reilly? Right? You've got, yeah. you've got several minutes on that one. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another reason to not wrap the strings with a bandana, because you're not going to be able to thread an E string through the bandana. You've got to take right. that sucker off. Another reason to have something a little bit more easily removable. Yeah. Another, it's another gear for you to, for you to turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, how am I going to get this stinking thing off and then back on fast? Yeah. Well, cool, man. It's been a uh, it's been a real honor hanging out with you this week. And you, man. I'm so so glad you were able to make it out. And, and thank you for everything you do. You make us all stronger. And it's it's terrific. I appreciate that. So give everybody your 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 social media, your website, all that stuff. How, how do they find out more There's, about you? Oh, I have I have the worst social media web presence on the planet, and I, I promised myself. I've even I've even to to kick myself in the ass a little bit. I have I have given money to a web designer ahead of time so that I am am more encouraged to actually do something about it. Right now, I have a very rudimentary website at chuckbontrager.com. Um, and there's uh, my personal Facebook page if somebody really wants to get a hold of me. But I, I promise, I promise, by the end of 2017, there'll be something significant on there because it it needs to happen. It, it, you can do it without being self-aggrandizing, and I think you do a great job of that. But we 
those of us who are out there doing this, this, this not so classical electric string thing, we've, we've got to spread the word in a, in a constructive way. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm ready to be a part of that. Awesome. And your Instagram? You've got some Instagram going? Dude, I, I have an Instagram account that I haven't looked at or logged into in over a year. It's, it's on the list, I swear yeah. to God. It's such a better platform than Facebook, honestly, for music. It's so much better. There's such a cool community on there of people. Everybody's super supportive. And yeah. you don't have to listen to politics. You don't have to listen to religion. It's like, hey, let's just do music. Right? Yeah. There's, a, there's an organization. It's a, it's a kind of a guild within the Musicians' Union. Um, it's national, but we have a very strong chapter in Chicago, the Theater Musicians Association, and our, our chapter president runs uh, has some pretty good social media game. You know, she has some pretty good social media kung fu, and um, watching her run the Instagram page and, and seeing how that how that works and how that interacts, yeah, you know, I'm I'm ready. Just just got to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully by the time this interview comes out, I we'll have I, some new videos. I promise you, it will be considerably better by the time this comes out. By, and by the end of 2017, I, I might I might meet the basic professional standard. So what is your what is your Instagram? I don't <laughs> I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I honestly don't remember. Maybe we'll do a, a quick addendum to this right. That's right. right I'll, I'll get it in there. It, but yeah, I'll get it in there in right the edits. Post. So yeah, you guys follow Chuck Bontrager and uh, find his website, find his Instagram, find his Facebook. There's there's YouTube videos of him up. Search him. He's a beast and. Uh, yeah, it's been a real honor hanging out with him, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to that pilgrimage to your shop. Man, you got to come, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to Hang that. out sit a couple days. Sit in the shop, we'll hide in the corner for the day. Play everything. Play everything. We'll do a live stream. That would be true. We'll do a Q&A. And I'll, I'll, have, I'll have social media platforms to post them. There you go. We'll do an AMA to ask me anything. Right on. <laughs> there it is. Awesome. There you have it, the incomparable Chuck Bontrager. Please keep a lookout for his newest release, an EP that contains full versions of the tunes you've heard here today. Please visit our sponsor and our host's websites, woodviolins.com and electricviolinshop.com. And please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We appreciate all your feedback and support. We will see you next time with another rock star violinist. Rockstar Violinist.